Welcome back to Daring Parenting with our special guest today, Kate Jackson, who is a dog trainer, nationally certified. She's a national consultant for television shows and was the founder of Jabula Dog Academy, which is a training center for regular people that have dogs and also professionals who want to learn from her. If you want to know more about Jabula, J-A-B-U-L-A Dog Academy, you can go to jabulladogs.com. One of the things that you talked about when we were training was interrupting negative behavior so that it doesn't form a pathway in the brain. Will you explain that to us in terms of dog training and neural pathways? And then I think we can probably extrapolate that out to use for humans. Training is simply conditioning. And conditioning is getting as many correct repetitions in a row to make a behavior become muscle memory. So every time a dog performs a behavior that's undesirable, for example, pulling on leash, every time a dog pulls forward on leash, that behavior or that motor pattern is reinforced and it becomes slightly more ingrained in the dog. So there's so much value in when you're dealing with any behavioral issue, just preventing the behavior from happening altogether. But in so many cases where behavioral counterconditioning comes into it is that you've had a dog that has now rehearsed a certain behavior for months, sometimes even years. And that behavior is now habitual. It's a muscle memory and the neuropath is very strongly developed. So the only way you can truly counteract behaviors is by stopping that motor pattern from rehearsing itself. Um, and every time you interrupt a negative behavior, you're interrupting the neuropath and you are redirecting the dog's focus onto a learned behavior. Dogs function in instinctive brain responses and learned brain responses. They cannot function in both at the same time. So if you have a dog that let's say is reactive on a leash. Every time the dog encounters another dog or whatever the trigger might be, their instinctive response is to lunge and growl and react. The behavioral response that you would want to then replace that instinctive response with would be something along the lines of leave it, either heal, leave it, sit, or even leave it and just look at me. So enough repetitions, conditioning is as many correct repetitions in, the row, in a row, as much as you can stop that neuropath from firing as early in the sequence as possible and redirect it onto a learned behavior, sit down, heal, look at me, you start to recreate a new neuropath and allowing the other one to become less habitual. I've got to tell you this story. My daughter, when she was probably 18 months old, she was still in a high chair. For some reason, she started any meal that was in a bowl, she would take it when she was finished and dump it on her head. So if it was cereal, it was milk and cereal that got dumped on her head. If it was spaghetti, then what was left of the spaghetti got dumped on her head. So one morning, she was about to do it with the cereal bowl, and there was still milk left in there. And all of a sudden I said, look at that squirrel outside. And my daughter's behavior was interrupted. She didn't dump the bowl on her head and she never did it again. Perfect. Which then leads me to ask, 
Can you teach an old dog new tricks? If the neural pathways have had years and years to rehearse, it's going to take a much longer time to get successful in redirecting those instinctive responses. But it absolutely can be done. It's just going to take a whole lot more work. One thing I've learned from you, Kate, is having a highly intelligent dog like I do, she needs a lot of mental stimulation and a lot of input. And I think this applies to humans as well. Just like you can't put a very intelligent kid in a class where they're bored or they'll spend the whole time daydreaming looking out the window. What does this look like with dogs that you see that are super smart? That, that is probably my favorite analogy between kids and, and dogs or animals. There is a direct correlation between behavioral issues and intelligence. I, I always bring up my poor golden retriever as an example because he is such a great example. He is as sweet as the day is long, tolerant beyond words. He is dumb as a box of rocks. He is the easiest dog I've ever owned. He never questions anything. He hangs on my every word. And he appears to be so incredibly well-trained. The reason that is, is because he doesn't have the ability to troubleshoot and question and figure out that there are alternative ways. He's not smart enough to figure that out. He has no behavioral issues. He's highly trainable. And people often mix up intelligence and trainability. Oh, you're right. A trainable dog is usually an average to below average intelligence dog. Okay, so now you have to tell the story of your yellow lab that was just the opposite. So Stoney, as he was known, named short for Winston, Stoney was the dog that, that started the company, started Jabula. I got him as a six-week-old pup from a, a breeder. Don't shoot me. And... This was 18 years ago. By the time he was 18 months old, he had killed another dog and he had put multiple puncture wounds in multiple people. He was the most, or to this day, probably one of the most intelligent dogs I've ever encountered. And he's the kind of dog that a boundary was put purely to be tested. My opinion or my request was every single time, well, do you mean it? And how are you going to follow through? Every single hurdle that, or every single boundary I put in his place and in front of him was purely a hurdle to see how he could get around it. Brilliantly intelligent dog and major behavioral issues. His brain was moving constantly. And if I wasn't giving him appropriate things to use his mental energy on, he would be using them on instinctive behaviors, which was aggression and neuroses in his case. What did you do to feed his intelligence and his need for stimulation? He had to be 100% off-leash reliable because a dog off-leash reliable is a dog exercising copious amounts of impulse control because you don't have a leash to default to. So it makes you a better trainer. It makes you a better dog handler if you have to train to the point where will my dog perform the same, well, will they, will they perform exactly the same without a leash on when the, as if they would with the leash on? So he was 100% off-leash reliable. 
he had, gosh, a list of about 50 different tricks that he would do. And that wasn't because I was a good trainer. That was because he had to do them. He had to have, the minute one trick was learned, a new trick had to be introduced. Because once a trick is learned, it doesn't require any more brain output. It becomes route patterned. It's just a habitual behavior. So we'd finish one trick and we'd start the new one. Because the, the magic happens when the dog is learning. When they're learning their troubleshooting. When they're learning they're having to exercise their brain, figure stuff out. So he had a list of tricks as long as my arm. He was on remote. He was a remote dog. And I truly believe that remote was what gave him a 13-year-long, healthy, successful life. It was the way to redirect those neuropaths whenever he would go down the route of picking an instinctive response. Which would be, in his case, aggression? Absolutely. And, and some neurotic behaviors as well. But yeah, it was the way to be able to interrupt, refocus, interrupt, refocus. And enough repetitions of that over the years. He got to be my primary demo dog. He would be off-leash reliable at a park with other dogs and people and kids. Did I ever trust him to make a right decision? No, I couldn't. He doesn't have a prefrontal cortex, or so we didn't have one. Dogs, you cannot expect your dog to make a good decision. They don't have the ability to do it. You have to be there to help them make the right decision. So they don't have that part of their brain, that rational, let me reason this out and think about it. Yep. I also would like to talk to you about genetics. Now, when we come into this world, we're wired a certain way. And I believe that dogs are too. What are your thoughts about this with dogs? Genetics, I feel, are a very large portion of a dog's temperament. or well, they determine a very large portion of, of temperament, of behavioral issues, of all of that. If you think about it like this, Border Collies were bred to herd sheep. If there was a male or female Border Collie that was just horrible at, at herding sheep, they would not breed that dog for the next generation of good sheep herders. It wouldn't be a smart move to make. So years and years and years of breeding has created highly successful Border Collies, highly successful in their jobs herding sheep. The same applies for, say, retrievers retriever that didn't have a natural instinct to retrieve wouldn't be bred because it's not going to do the job he's supposed to do. The exact same repetition in breeding applies to genetics associated with aggression, with anxiety, with most behavioral problems. Let's look at terriers. They often get a bad rap. I have a terrier. I adore her. She's my, my hot dog. She's piss and vinegar and she is, as all terriers are, bred to kill things. They're bred to work independently of a human. So let's take a terrier such as a Jack Russell Terrier or a Rat Terrier. Their job is originally was bred to kill rodents in barns and households and all that good stuff. So they have to have the motor pattern of bite, grab on, and shake. That is, no amount of training is gonna take that genetic motor pattern out of a dog that is born with that. So, so the terrier group are bred to have a kill motor pattern, just the same as a border collie has been bred to have a herding motor pattern, just the same as a retriever has been bred to have a retrieving motor pattern. Obviously, if you then 
nurture and foster good habits to build those natural drives, you will have a more successful dog at what its job was to do. And the same applies for if you don't. I've met retrievers that don't retrieve very well. Mm. I've met border collies that don't herd very well. And it's the combination of the blueprint they were born with and then how their life experiences have either hindered or enhanced that natural instinct. So the behavioral issues that a dog exhibits, you believe this is directly tied to their intelligence? Genetics and intelligence. And that's part of the quandary with regard to dog training, because one of my biggest challenges is having people understand what it is they have in their package and understanding how the behavioral issues are linked to that and what they can do for um, mental outlet. It's, it's not okay to have a terrier living in an apartment building or in a you know, built-up city area and have them kill rodents. It's just not something that's gonna happen naturally. So because they don't have that natural outlet to perform what they were bred to do, you start to see behavioral issues because the dog is trying to use up that mental energy that they would be doing or using to do their job. They're now using that mental energy to create a job description for themselves. My mother used to tell me that if you don't give a job to a dog, they will find a job to do. And that is so true. Uh, My first dog was a boxer and we lived on the beach in Florida. And that dog got herself a job catching blue crabs. She would go down to the water, catch a blue crab. The thing would hang on to her little jowly lip and she would shake it and that was it. She didn't eat it, but that was her job to catch any crab that she could see and bring it up to the shore. I think as human beings, it's important for all of us to feel like we have a purpose or a mission on earth. What's the importance of giving our dog a job? It is the most important thing. It is the most important thing to give your dog. You owe it to your dog. Regardless of whether they're a purebred dog, regardless of whether they're a mixed breed dog and you don't even know what their history is. A dog has to have a mental outlet that they can use up brain energy in appropriate ways. You have to do it. If not, you're gonna end up with behavioral issues. The more intelligent the dog, the bigger, the more challenging your behavioral issues are gonna be. Without giving them a job description, you're essentially setting up your dog to fail in life. Because you're saying to them, I'm not providing you any mental outlet, but in the same vein, I don't want you to chew up the carpet or get into the trash can or growl and snap at people coming in the house or whatever it is that the behavioral issue might be in varying degrees. You're setting up your dog to learn and create a job description of of their own. And it's very, very, very rare, if not impossible, that I've ever seen a dog that chooses to sit and behave when people walk in the door if they haven't been taught to do it. So let's say we want to give our dog a job. I have a border collie. I have no sheep. Then what? So if, if you had a border collie, I would say you need to join an agility club yesterday. But let's say something like, you know, even your little mixed breed dog that is, you know, 40 pounds and stays home for a number of hours a day in the crate. 
Basic obedience is number one. It's easy, it's simple, it's fun, it's treat-based, it's you know motivating, it builds a relationship with your dog, it teaches them the skills to exercise self-control. Dogs don't naturally come with an ability to exercise self-control, just like children. <laughs> you have to be there to show them how to learn. You have to be there to show them how to exercise their brain, how to apply impulse control or self-control. So as simple as that, basic obedience, little things. It doesn't have to be an agility career. It can be multiple little things like, we're gonna step out the front door. You could just run through the door or your job in this moment is to sit and stay while I step through the door and then release you to come out. You've now exercised 10 seconds of impulse control. Feeding time, you put the food bowl on the ground, they could just dive into it and eat but instead you could make them lay down and stay for three minutes and release them. That's a little job description. Taking them for a walk can be simply sniffing and peeing on things and trying to chase a squirrel, and which is fun playtime, but it's not requiring them to exercise self-control. So having your dog walk on a loose leash next to you when you go for a walk is a hard job description. That's giving your dog mental outlet in a controlled environment, or not a controlled environment, but in a controlled manner. I see. So what you're saying is every time that a dog is required to exercise self-control or impulse control, this uses up a lot of brain energy. Absolutely. It's just like sitting a test. You don't do anything for three hours but think, and you're comatose at the end of it. The reuptake on mental energy is, is a lot longer than it is with physical energy. If you throw the ball for your dog for 30 minutes, they'll come inside, they'll collapse for maybe an hour, and then they're up and about again. But if you're, if you're taking your dog for a 45-minute walk, and that walk is required to be next to you, not sniffing, not chasing a squirrel, not peeing on anything, that dog is exercising both physical outlet by walking, but most importantly, they're exercising mental outlet by having to keep themselves in the right position and resist all of those distractions. I personally believe that children who have chores feel better about themselves. They have more self-confidence. They have a better self-image. Like, I can do this. Do you see this? Do you think dogs have that capacity to feel better about themselves if they have a job? You know, I, I, I can't answer that directly, but what I can say is a dog that has a job description is a more content, a less anxious, a less aggressive, a less fearful dog. So it would lead me to believe that there has to be some level of correlation. Kate, this has been absolutely amazing. I could talk to you for hours about this. So thank you so much for being with us today. My absolute pleasure. I've loved it. Loved it. Our guest today on Daring Parenting has been Kate Jackson. She's the founder of Jabula Dog Academy in Decatur, Georgia. And you can go to jabuladogs.com. And Kate has got quite an impressive resume. She's very modest, but she's been called in to consult on national television shows. She's been doing this for many, many years and specializes in problem behavior. And I can speak personally. I watched a miracle happen in front of my eyes with my miniature bull terrier, Sabi. 
So if you want to get a hold of Kate, you can reach her at jabulladogs.com and the number's 404-499-9340. And if you'd like to know about Daring Parenting and our other podcasts, you can go to daringparenting.com.